everybody. This is Ellen Weatherford, and I'm here with just the zoo of us, like always. And this week, we have a new friend. This is Tori Wingarder. Say hi, Tori. Hi. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Pretty good. How are you? I'm awesome, and I'm really excited to talk to you and to talk about our cool animal for today. Um, it's a little bit of a Florida icon, right? Yes, absolutely. So uh, you're also in Florida, which is really exciting for me. <laughs> we have some a little bit of uh, somewhat local pride. But um, so first, before we launch into our animal, let our friends know who you are and how you got to where you are. Basically, just like every other zookeeper, animal professional, I have always felt really connected to animals at a young age. I was out exploring my backyard, things like that. Lots of time spent outdoors. And um, there was a pet store that was pretty close to my house. And that's where I first kind of got my taste of taking care of animals. I'd volunteer there and I would clean the cages of like the reptiles, the birds, the hamsters and the puppies and the kittens. And I volunteered there for about two years. And then when I was 17, I was hired. So I worked at the pet store for another two years. So I moved from Orlando to go to school in Gainesville to the Santa Fe College Teaching Zoo. And there I earned a degree in zoo animal technology. So basically what that means is just everything that you can think of that encompasses zookeeping, like it just turns you into just a zoo animal professional. Um, you get a little taste of everything. It's five semesters. Um, so you get a part in like kitchen, you get to work with birds of prey, hoofstock, reptiles, primates, even venomous reptiles, which was really exciting for me. That was my favorite Part of my senior year was working in our herb house. I felt really connected to all of those different animals there. And I work with gopher tortoises there too. And that's when I learned so much more about them than I knew. Just growing up in Florida, like I've seen them before. And I was like, oh, cool, that's a gopher tortoise. But I didn't really think too much of it. I think I was more distracted with like dogs and horses at that time. And then when I got older um, from the pet store and from the zoo program, I got more connected into reptiles. And um, one of my instructors at the zoo program also is the site manager at a wildlife um, preserve, um, Ashton Biological Preserve in Archer. And um, so I started volunteering there as well. And then after I got my degree, it only takes two years, so it's a technical degree. I finished my AA and just general studies for my prereqs to do psychology, to do animal training. So after I graduated uh, from the zoo program, I started going to Valencia and working as an intern at the Orlando Science Center. So I started doing an internship there right out of college. And then halfway through my internship, they hired me as part-time. Six months later, I got promoted to full-time and I've been working there for four years now. So I've got, you know, just under and about eight years of experience working with, um, you know, some domestic animals, you know, some pets and reptiles and birds. Um, so I'm just basically just an, an animal professional. I'm a zookeeper over at the Orlando Science Center, and we have two gopher tortoises in our um, collection of animals there. Alice and Rocky, make sure to say hi to them next time you go there. Uh, so that's the animal that we're talking about today, right? One of my favorite animals, the Florida icon, the, um, the gopher tortoise or gopherus polyphemus. I'm really excited about this because, like you said, it's like we have so many awesome reptiles. I think that just the environment of Florida makes our 
herpetological. I may have just made that word up. It's okay, though. Our sort of reptile biodiversity, really beautiful. So I'm excited to talk about gopher tortoises. And for people that maybe this is sort of their intro to tortoises, can you kind of give us an overview of tortoises? Uh, Yes, actually. So tortoises specifically, they are different from turtles. Their diet most tortoises are just going to eat be vegetarians, while most turtles are omnivores. And um, turtles, they have to live in the water. Tortoises, most of them cannot swim. They can't. They're not aquatic. They're purely terrestrial. So that's the main difference. The habitats, aquatic and terrestrial, and then the diets as well. And if you look at them, um, turtles, they'll have like claws and their skin looks a little smoother. The easiest way for me to look and see the difference between turtles and tortoises is if you look at their feet. Most of the time, tortoises are going to have really chunky feet with claws. They kind of look like little elephant feet. And um, turtles are going to have like smoother skin. They've got webbed feet. They usually have like longer claws, um, things like that. And you also want to look at their shell. So turtles, for the most part, they're going to have like a compressed shell. It's going to be a little flatter so that they can just scoot right through the water. They're really hydrodynamic. Well, as tortoises, you don't have to worry about that. Um, you know, they don't chase prey or anything like that, so they're not very fast. They move pretty slow. They got big, heavy shells that help protect them, and they are connected to their shells. So, right on top there, um, there are the vertebral scoops, the vertebrae, right there. So, a lot of some people, um, I get questions sometimes about, um, you know, do turtles change their shells? And it's not like hermit crabs. Like I said, you know, they're attached to it. So. It is painful if they have injuries on their shells, if they get bit by a dog or a raccoon or unfortunately hit by a car. Um, They do feel that it's bone um, and then there's a layer of keratin on top of that bone. So it's very similar to your fingernails. So on our human fingernails, we can feel hot, cold, pressure, scratching. It's just like that on their shells. And um, I've worked with tortoises before that really enjoy a good carapace scratch. Um, You could do toothbrushes too, and they'll kind of like wiggle their shells underneath the places that they want you to scratch. And it's absolutely adorable. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I'm very pleased to know that when you are petting a tortoise, which is a delightful experience. It is. They're so cute. I'm really happy to know that when you are petting a tortoise, that delight and that joy is mutual. It's going in both directions. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So this week, we're specifically talking about gopher tortoises. So for people that maybe don't know very much about the gopher tortoise, I would love it if you could kind of introduce us. This is not the giant Galapagos tortoise. This is not that big, huge, chunky boy. This is like kind of a smaller one. It's about like, what would you say, like football sized? Um, A little bigger than a football, Um, you know, anywhere from 23 to 28 centimeters Probably more like basketball like they can actually grow up to fifteen pounds. Whoa, okay. Fun fact, the Florida Museum actually has the largest ever gopher tortoise like ever recorded, um, preserved at the museum there. I saw it on Twitter. <laughs> How big is that one? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I wanna say it was like almost it was over twenty pounds. Oof. It was pretty big. I, I saw it because the one that I work with is pretty big. And I was like, this one's three times the size of that. So, Oh, my gosh. Yeah, about 15 pounds, um, you know, anywhere from about 23 to 28 um, centimeters on the carapace. And this is specifically this gopher tortoise species. There are a different couple species. This one that we're talking about right now, Gopherus polyphemus, this is the one that's only found in the southeastern United States. 
and their range extends through coastal plains, um, any area with like really thin tree coverage. Think of like your scrub forest with palmettos and oak hammocks, that classic like wild Florida, almost marshy, more transitional wetlands, pine with flat area. That's where you can find the gopher tortoise and its burrows. And it's going to eat um, a lot of that dry and dense vegetation that it's around. Um, in captivity, though, they've been observed eating feces from other animals. Oh, gross. And they do it in the wild as well. They've been caught on camera traps um, doing coprophagy. Don't quote me on how to say that. I've heard coprophagy, coprophagy. Um, poop eating is what that is. So there is some nutrients that's from poop. It can be good for their gut flora to eat feces. Um, and get some of those nutrients that the other animals were eating. Um, of course, if they're if it's their lucky day and flowers and fruits fall from the trees like oranges, they'll run right over there and um, munch that right up. So they're actually pretty opportunistic. And um, we're starting to see more of these behavioral adaptations, like I said, with coprophagy. And um, they're getting more opportunistic with the things that they're trying to eat. They're exploring and finding new foods. They may even try to eat like a carcass or something that they come across. It just depends on the tortoise. <laughs> they're like, I'll just have a little sample, see if I like it. Yeah, exactly. So um, they're a generalist. They'll, they'll eat just about anything, which is why it's so important. You don't want to put trash on the ground, especially if you're visiting like our national and our state parks. You know, you don't want to leave any litter behind because a gopher tortoise will try to eat something that's bright green and shiny and smells like food. You know, so you want to be careful with that. And you mentioned that they live in burrows. So, like, where would you be most likely to find a gopher tortoise burrow? Um, in a pinewood flat, in a wooded area. Um, not really that close to um, central Florida. I'd say you have to go out just a little bit. We do have some protected wildlife areas where you can see them closer. But if you want to see a gopher tortoise, you have to drive about an hour away. You could go to Cocoa Beach. Um, you know, you could go over, like, St. Augustine. Um, up in North Florida, you know, they're all around them. They're even sometimes like in Georgia, their range is all over the Southeast. Do they have like a certain type of ground that they like to make their burrow in? Like, are they partial to like, so So we we live in kind of wetlands, right? So like you get some sand, but you also get some mud and some more like clay sort of ground. Like, do they have a preference? Um, it's definitely in the sandier parts of the forest. Um, it doesn't do you any good to make a burrow too close to the wetlands. Um, you know, if you see a gopher tortoise that's closer to like the margins of a swampy area, it's probably just crossing through. That's probably not where its burrow is. Um, they can range for, you know, miles and miles and they never lose track of their burrows. Um, like migrating birds, they use the Earth's magnetic field to navigate, Whoa. which is incredible. They never lose their burrows and they actually make multiple of them in the pinewood flat, which is so good for the wildlife. Because over 300 different species depend on these burrows. Um, and that's anywhere from amphibians, mammals, birds, venomous snakes. Um, they all kind of live in that burrow together. Oh, they're helping everybody. Exactly. That's why they're called a keystone species. Because if those animals don't have the burrows, if there's a hurricane, if there's a flood or a wildfire, um, that is those animals' refuge. That's where they go. It's a shelter throughout those storms. So... That's why those animals are so important. Everybody needs a place to live. Everybody needs a place to eat. And they basically just give that away for free for everybody in the forest. So they're pretty awesome. 
Yeah, a lot of times I feel like when you talk about or when you hear about the ecological impact of an animal, it's just in terms of where they are in the food chain. Like it's just like, oh, they eat this or their food for this. It's not as often heard for it to be like, oh, this animal provides homes for for everybody else. I like that. They're not it's not about who they're eating or being eaten by. <laughs> they're helping. Right. It's it's pretty charming, you know. Honestly, and uh, you know, they have a lifespan of up to 60 years. Unfortunately, they have a really slow growth rate, though. Um, they don't reach maturity um, as quickly as other animals. Sometimes it's up to 15 years before they are able to reproduce. They have a very small clutch size, so they don't lay a whole lot of eggs. You know, like sea turtles, they lay like 60, maybe 10 make it to adulthood. That's great. Uh, but with a gopher tortoise, they only lay about five or six. Um, so very small clutch size, slow maturity. Um, so that's why their population is considered vulnerable. Because if we do have, during these breeding seasons, when they're traveling and they're trying to get across roads and they're on in all these unexpected areas, people's garages, you know, they're trying to find their mates, they're trying to lay their eggs, um, you know, they do get injured. During certain seasons, we have to be really careful when we're driving so that we don't hit our breeding females or we don't accidentally... Um, Pretty into those turtles, you know, that are that breeding age and going out to do that because it's so important for their population, you know, they're able to do that. So we want to be really careful when we're driving. Yeah, of course. You got to be nice to the tortoises because they can't jump out of the way like a squirrel can, you know, like I'm assuming, of course, based on my assumptions about tortoises, that they're not very, that I'm just totally guessing that they're not very fast. Not really, not this species. I mean, I have seen some determined tortoises in my life, you know, where they're just cruising, going somewhere really important. And I'm like, wow, that's, you know, he's really moving. They're not terribly fast. Um, if you have like a walking pace, that's like top speed for them. Uh, but it's really cute because they, they think that they're going really fast. Oh, they're trying their best and they're so proud. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, they have to quickly travel to those different burrows. You know, they're like burrow hopping. And um, they have different personalities. So the front of the burrow is called like the apron. And um, sometimes they're clean freaks or there's ones that don't really care. Some tortoises will clean all of the leaves and all the vegetation and leave it just sand at the front. And other tortoises are a little more sloppy. They don't care. They don't clean the leaves that fall or the pine needles or anything like that. So I think that's so interesting that they have preferences on how clean their burrow is. I think I'm going to start describing my workspace maintenance style in terms of gopher tortoise <laughs> cleanliness standards. Yeah, how many loose papers do you have on your desk? How many paper clips? Is everything in its little drawers like it should be? That's very relatable. If this is your first time listening to our show, we review animals by rating them out of 10 in three different categories. And the first category that we like to talk about for these animals is effectiveness. And the way that we define effectiveness is the physical adaptations that let an animal do a good job of the things it's trying to do, which typically are things like not dying and eating things and getting a hold of the thing that's trying to eat, escaping predators, just survival things, things that are built into its body that's helping it do a good job of those things. So what do you give the gopher tortoise for effectiveness? A tank. Of course. <laughs> this is a little tank, right? 
I think the gopher tortoise is super effective. They carry the whole team, okay? They carry the whole ecosystem on their beautiful little smooth shell <laughs> inside their burrows. I definitely think they're super effective. I give them a 10 out of 10 for sure. I can see why. So what I'm thinking of when I'm thinking of a tortoise is, of course, you know, we already talked about how they're not the quickest, But then my next thought is like, well, they probably don't have to be very quick because they're heavily armored. So that's got me thinking, like, do they have any sort of like threats? Are there any sort of natural predators that pose a a threat to these tortoises? Um, Invasive fire ants um, can be a threat. They accidentally walk over the nest or they do what people do. You stand on it on accident and um, the whole nest kind of like attacks and eats them alive. So fire ants can definitely be pretty gnarly when you're a tortoise, especially when you're hatchling. It happens a lot with hatchlings because they haven't learned to avoid the fire ant nest, unfortunately. Birds of prey, absolutely. Raccoons, coyotes. Um, So most of the stuff, when you are saying that they're a tank, when they're an adult, you know, they're doing pretty good. They have their burrow. They've been able to make it to adulthood. So they have these adaptations. You know, they have these different things that they've learned you know, they're, they're fit, they're fit for survival, you know, so that when you've made it to an adult, you know, like you said, you're pretty good, you know, the habitat that you want to go in, but you do still have to worry about, you know, coyote, the odd raccoon, things like that. But it's so hard to get into. And you can basically just eat the head and the legs. So it's a lot of work for not a lot of meat. Um, but people in Florida do, um, do still eat gopher tortoises. There's some places that are rural that um, it's historically, um, it's been a thing that alligators we've eaten alligators and birds all kinds of things and uh, people eat gopher tortoises too so they have to watch out for actually people physically taking them to make soup oh okay (laughs) (laughs) that's what i heard that's how they do it oh interesting now if you have a different gopher tortoise recipe um that is illegal to take them to eat them so we don't want to do that okay so it's 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 not legal to eat them yeah you absolutely cannot they're a protected species um, so you don't want to eat gopher tortoise soup, uh, but I guess in theory you could eat a, an unprotected species that's in an abundant amount if you really wanted to. But it's interesting that you said fire ants. First of all, I didn't even have fire ants on the radar. <laughs> I didn't even think that that was going to be a thing. But it makes sense because, you know, the tortoises are so slow that if they step in the nest, they're going to be there for a minute. You know, it's not like you or me where we step in the nest, we look down, we oh, my gosh, I'm in a fire ant nest and we can just, you know, like hop off real quick. The tortoise, it's like they're going to be kind of sitting there for a second. And then that gives the ants a chance to get on them and... They can't wipe off the fire ants. You know, they just have to walk away or maybe some water or something like that. Go through some brush or some leaf litter. Oh, poor babies. Can gopher tortoises do this thing that like other turtles can where they completely go inside their shell? Not completely, uh, but just about. Oh, okay. Hey friends, this is Ellen. I just wanted to come in with a quick note that the next half of the episode may sound a little bit different and that is because technical issues caused us to have to record this half of the show at a later date. Do not worry, it is still awesome. I know you're still going to enjoy it. Just if it sounds a little different, it is because of that. So enjoy. Thanks. Our next category that we rate our animals on is ingenuity 
which for us are behavioral adaptations that let the animal do a really good job of the things that it's trying to do. So these could be like social behaviors or evasive behaviors or just things it's doing with its body to let it like solve the problems it faces on a daily basis. So Tori, what would you give the gopher tortoise for ingenuity? I give them a 10 out of 10. Oh, <laughs> this is something truly incredible. Uh, at first glance, you know, you may not see kind of the ecological value of those burrows that they build on their territories, uh, but they're called a keystone species for a reason. Those burrows are like the backbone of that entire pinewood flat ecosystem and those oak hammocks, the sandy coastal plains where they live. It supports over 250 different animal species, plus itself. And um, that tortoise is really smart. He's not going out in the middle of the day when it's hottest. You know, they pick very um, certain levels of humidity and temperature that they go out to forage or to find mates or anything like that. So even though it is kind of just a brown, like average looking tortoise, um, they're pretty incredible just for their roles in the ecosystem and um, the adaptations that they have to survive in our Florida environment. So when you're talking about this burrow, which is really cool and it's also like a defining characteristic of this tortoise right like what goes into digging the burrow for this tortoise like are they just kind of shoveling with their little feet or what are they like what are they doing well shoveling with their feet is definitely a part of it their feet are shovel shaped they're kind of big and flat and broad at the front for just pushing it out and um, it's a little bit more complicated than you think to make a burrow. They aren't just kind of just digging down. It has to be supported enough for them to go in and out of it many times. And um, we don't want it to ever collapse on them. That would be terrible if they got stuck in it. They'd have to dig all the way out again. So what they do with that broad shell, with the way that it's shaped, along with those digging feet that they use, their shell is a big part of supporting that burrow as well. When they're going through it and they're digging and pushing, the top of their shell, the way that it's kind of angled over their head, it packs up the dirt as they move along. So the system to how they build it, and it can be up to 40 feet deep, and some of them have multiple chambers. So when we talked about their food habits before, um, they're very opportunistic. Over like 70% of their diet is grasses, but they have been observed seeing eating um, animal poop, carry on even lots of different types of fungus and moss and things like that. And when you share your burrow with a lot of different animals, there's going to be plenty of tasty little treats left behind. So what kind of other animals do they share their burrow with? Is this like other gopher tortoises or just like other animals in general? Sometimes it is other gopher tortoises. It depends on those tortoises' personalities on whether they want to share their burrow or not. But I work with the gopher tortoise, Alice, um, who does not like to share her burrow. But, um, but they have been observed um, multiple tortoises living in the same burrow, not for extended periods of time. Um, it seems like it is a little bit related to like courtship and mating, but uh, they do, you can see that. So there is some, some gopher tortoise, other gopher tortoises in that burrow, rattlesnakes, um, eastern indigo snakes, burrowing owls, rabbits, gopher frogs, gopher mice. The list goes on. It's a lot of different um, invertebrates, vertebrates, different types of plants and fungus can live in there as well, because there is a lot of nutrients in that soil from all those different animals utilizing that burrow. Oh, they've got their own little world down there, don't they? 
yeah, it's it's really interesting just to see how they can all coexist together. And um, if there's a forest fire or there's a hurricane or anything like that, um, those animals in the forest will run to the burrow for refuge. Really anywhere that they can try to escape. And the gopher tortoise is like the lottery when they hit that because it's nice and deep and cool. <laughs> and there's lots of other animals to hang out in there as well. I have seen a picture of somebody who is doing a field study. They put like the camera scope down into the burrow. And there was a rattlesnake sitting on top of the gopher tortoise. And they were both chilling there. And it was the most incredible photo I've ever seen. That is so cool. I would have lost my mind. That is like, if you're the type of person who likes your mattresses, like super firm. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that that would imply to me then that the snake is no danger to the gopher tortoise, right? Like that makes sense because a snake would not be able to open its mouth wide enough to get a tortoise. Not an adult. um, The babies, indigo snakes, have, have been known to eat gopher tortoise babies as well as the eggs. Like I said before, you know, they're they're pretty invincible once they're an adult. Um, really, when they're adult, they do have to watch out for those invasive fire ants. Also, um, feral cats will get the juveniles and the babies, bobcats, even eagles, raccoons, things like that. But not too much going after that whole, the full-grown gopher tortoise because it's very hard to get into and it's very hard to break that shell as well. Yeah, once you make it to adulthood, you're home free, but you got to really make it through that stretch. <laughs> it's going to be pretty, it's going to be a long road getting there. It's unbelievable. You know, there's very little maternal care. She covers up the nest after she lays the eggs and that's it, you know, and so they're very small. They, a, a baby, a hatchling, they fit right in your hand. Oh. Foraging, as soon as they absorb that yolk sac, they move from like neonate to hatchling when they start foraging and eating. I worry about them out there, all those little babies. (laughs) A common question that I get regarding the shells too is can you tell their growth rate based on the rings? And you can a little bit when they're younger, um, but their shells gradually like smooth over and those growth rings really fade as they get older. Because like I said, when they're building these burrows, you know, they're pushing it and packing up the sand as they move along. So there is a degree of like wear that comes with that. And their, their shells are just, they get gradually and gradually more smooth the older they get. And so those growth rings start to fade. So it's pretty hard to tell once they've reached that full size at like 20 years old. You just basically have to just estimate how old they are from there. Um, another thing about their shells is something that uh, like I'm always looking for when I'm seeing any sort of like captive tortoise is... I've heard that like the smoother and rounder the shell is, the healthier the tortoise is. And that like, if you get that sort of jagged look where like, it looks like they have like mountaintops on their shell, that like, that's a sign of poor health of the tortoise. Like what, what, what is that all about? Yes. So I believe you're referring to um, pyramiding as yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in the industry. Um, it's when those individual scoops, instead of all looking like they're connected in one smooth surface, each one of them peaks up. You can see it especially in like the red foot tortoise species, sulcata species, but that can absolutely happen. Um, it's more common when they're babies and they're younger because um, it's really important to feed them, you know, that 3% of their body weight as they grow older. So that way their shell doesn't get deformed or anything like that. It's not permanent. Um, It just takes a long time to correct. So all of those like new pet owners with turtles and tortoises, 
it's really important that you don't overfeed them so that you don't accidentally end up causing malformations in their shells. So most of the time it is like nutritionally linked. Um, it's very cute when they eat fruit, they go crazy for it, um, but they really shouldn't have that much. It should be a very special occasion if they get fruit, it should be a lot of just dry hay and grasses and produce. Because a tortoise out in the wild, um, they're not climbing trees. They don't like ram the trees to shake the fruit down or anything. It just has to get overripe and fall. Um, so it takes a tremendous amount of time and it'll attract a lot of different animals as well. So it's very um, spontaneous when it would get fruit or flowers because it just has to fall on the ground for it. So when we're thinking about ingenuity and I'm thinking about the way that you are caring for the tortoises in, in your care, can you train tortoises? Like how, how, how receptive are they to, I don't know, taking commands? Like, can they learn their name? Like how trainable are they? That's an excellent question. Um, I actually train tortoises. I don't train our gopher tortoises in the collection. Um, I only train our redfoots. But reptiles in general, especially with turtles and tortoises, from my experience, they're all very food motivated. So it's very easy to shape around the behavioral cues that they're already getting you. Most of the time, a lot of captive tortoises are kind of like accidentally trained because of classical (laughs) conditioning. You show up. You feed them, they like that. So they associate you with the food, which is why um, I always tell people to never feed wild animals because they'll think every single person has food. Um, And it's the same with kind of just all animals. So a lot of people, um, guess we'll see when I walk into our cypress swamp that like the animals will start coming up to me and they're like, oh, they like you. Oh, you train them to do that. And I'm like, they like food, so they like me. And um, classical conditioning, I'm the stimulus, you know, like Pavlov, when he rang the bell and fed the dog at the same time, the dog started to salivate. When they see me, they start getting hungry, uh, whether they are or not, just because I I feed them multiple times a day. So you can train them. As far as teaching them their name, that would probably be a little challenging because gopher tortoises, they don't actually have external ears. That would be a problem. (laughs) They can't actually hear you call their name. Uh, But I would imagine that you could teach them a different kind of name, not a verbal name. Maybe if you stomped three times on the ground near them and you held out food and they came to you for that, they would eventually learn that when there's like stomping or just when I see the person, I'm going to get food. So you'd have to get a little creative about how um, different types of cues that you could use besides verbal ones. And most of the time animals, you know, they don't speak. Um, So they're much better with um, those nonverbal body language cues than anything else from my experience. That makes sense because you got to learn how to speak their language, right? Like they can't speak yours. So you got to connect with them at their level. Exactly. It seems like body language, they pick up the quickest because like that's how they communicate with each other. Whether it's like birds with like feathers or lizards with their dewlaps or tortoises with their head bobbing. I've never personally head bobbed at a tortoise before. (laughs) I wonder what they would do. Are they able to like interpret cues that they would do to each other? Like if another animal did it? I know that sometimes for some animals, like if you meow at a cat, they look at you like, what are you doing? This is not it. Like, this is not what you do. Like, would a gopher tortoise just look at you like, no, this is not your thing? (laughs) I would imagine they kind of look at you like that all the time. (laughs) (laughs) They just got an attitude. Yeah, mine are like, you got food? No? Okay. (laughs) Go and sit down and go to sleep. 
<laughs> Something I've said before that I stand by very firmly is that the sixth love language is food. I um, I can remember my mom, anytime I had a doctor's appointment, we would always get something for lunch afterwards. And I keep that tradition up. Anytime I have a doctor's appointment, I get food afterwards. And uh, it works for everybody. You know, anytime there's something you don't really want to do or don't really um, don't like particularly like brushing your teeth or something, find a little way to reward yourself. Food's a great way to do that. I take my kiddo to get uh, cake pops. Uh, He just last week had a doctor's appointment and afterwards I took him to get a cake pop. And that was definitely, it worked as not only like positive reinforcement, but like an incentive. It was like, if you're good this whole time, there's a cake pop in it for you. Like just like continually reminding the whole time, like cake pops, cake pops, cake pops. (laughs) So we'll respond to that really well. I think we, we've all kind of realized that if we've ever had pets before, you know, it seems like they're always starving. <laughs> I know. I have a beagle, so I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, you you mentioned that, you know, we were talking about their burrows and how they dig in, in the sand and in the dirt. Are they able to move in and out of the water? I know that tortoises typically are the ones that are like on the land as opposed to being in and out of the water or completely in the water. But like, can they swim in any way? Like, what is their relationship with the water? It's very limited. They usually won't seek out deep water. They do like to soak. They do need to um, stay hydrated. So they'll go to like puddles and ditches and they'll go up to the margins of bodies of water. Um, But they don't swim very much at all. um, And they're not very buoyant either. So if you decide to help a gopher tortoise across the road or out of the neighborhood or something like that. Um, I always suggest to people, whether it's a turtle or a tortoise, just don't put it in the water, just put it next to the water, put it in the direction that it's going out of the way of like a walking path or the road where cars are. I've heard that if a turtle is trying to cross the road and you pick it up and you put it back on the side it came from, that it will just go again. Is that a is that real? Are they like very stubborn like that? Where they're like, nope, this is what I wanted. This is what I'm doing. Well, they're traveling in that direction for a reason. So the fact that you just inconvenienced them didn't change the reason. They still needed to go in that direction. Uh, so most of the time, they're trying to go to a different body of water to find a mate, or um, that's a female turtle and she's or tortoise and she's going to lay her eggs. So um, she's got a mission. You know, that tortoise has made up its mind that it's going in this direction for a reason. So um, you do want to put it in the direction that it's going. And I've, I've personally witnessed it before and been frustrated. This was like times in my childhood where I didn't really know that much about animals. Just saw a turtle, wanted to help it. He's in the middle. I'll just put him on the on the right side. And I saw him while I'm walking back to the car with my mom. He's going back on the road and I'm like what are you doing silly turtle you know I <laughs> like moved him back. and he's looking at you like what are you doing I was clearly going somewhere exactly what's your problem <laughs> you don't own the road I'm walking that way so uh, we did fi- eventually figure it out um so that was one of the ways that I figured it out kind of before I had any type of extra knowledge about turtle behavior or why they're doing that um, so I learned more from like personal experience that um, you need to put them in the way that they're going. And it was confirmed later in college. Yeah, I, I know that around here in Florida, especially, um, and people are just trying to help, you know, they're just trying to be 
um, a nice person and a good friend to animals, but then they end up putting a tortoise in a pond or the river or something like that. And you're like, I feel you. I get what you were going for, but that ain't it. Yeah. You know, I say just when in doubt, less is more. Um, You know, if you see an injured squirrel, you know, in the middle of the sidewalk, go put it in the bushes, you know, grab a hand towel, something from the car, you know, a rag, something like that. Um, I, I do see, I hear a lot of stories from people who were well-intentioned. But if you ever find, you know, an injured animal or you're not sure what to do, call for help, whip out your smartphone, Google it real quick. You know, all the answers that in the world that you could ever want to know are right in your pocket. So could you could just Google, there's a bat on the ground outside, what do I do? And um, most of the time, the answers are going to be just leave it alone. As hard as that is seeing a little bird or a little squirrel or a turtle you want to help, a lot of the time, just the best thing is to do to leave it alone. When I was a student at the Santa Fe College Teaching Zoo, somebody came into the zoo, a guest frantically with these gopher tortoise hatchlings that she just found outside and was like, these babies got separated from their mama. They need help. What do I do? And we had to immediately tell her that what she's doing was actually illegal to take them from the habitat and bring them somewhere else. Um, So it's little things like that. um, Where, Like I said, there's very low degree of maternal care. So those little babies are doing just fine on their own outside. Plenty of them will make it to adulthood. Yeah, I imagine probably a lot of people are applying baby mammal or baby bird logic to baby reptiles. When it's like for the reptiles, mom's probably not going to be there unless it's a gator, in which case you're not going to want to be picking up that baby gator. (laughs) (laughs) No, but she will let you know that she is there. But like, you know, I think if all you're acquainted with is mammals and birds, it would then make sense that if you see baby reptiles, you might think, oh my gosh, where's their mom? Their mom should be here caring for it. Um, so hopefully, <laughs> hopefully this will help some people to avoid making that mistake in the future and understanding that no, mom is not supposed to be there. She has already left and it is fine. Yeah, she's out there living her best life. She's got to go make more tortoises. Yeah, the babies have their whole world ahead of them, you know, just let them live their life. But I totally understand that. It's hard to know everything about every animal, you know. So like I said, when in doubt, just look it up real quick if you can. Yeah, since since we're on the topic of baby tortoises, this is a good chance to transition into our last category for animals, which is aesthetics, which is arguably probably my favorite category. <laughs> but this is just self-explanatory. How nice you think they are to look at? What do you give the gopher tortoise for aesthetics? I give them a 9 out of 10. How could you not? <laughs> they're pretty darn cute, especially the babies. Um, they have very cute little faces. And if you look really closely, like each one of them does look different. You can recognize some different features. Their cute little beady eyes and their little elephant feet. I love um, tortoise butts <laughs> when they're walking away and their little tails wagging and they're just taking these really slow, you know, just very determined steps. It's one of my favorite things to watch a tortoise from behind. Um, I think the only reason it's not a 10 out of 10 is... um. If they were just a little bit more colorful, you know, red foot tortoises, in my opinion, have them a little bit beat with that. I do like the collars on some other tortoise species, but for being a a brown tortoise, I think they're pretty darn cute. 
they are kind of like, I, I will give them that they are very well camouflaged. I have walked right by, like, I mean right by a gopher tortoise that was not even in this burrow. It was all the way out, uh, just chilling in the dirt. And I walked right by it and didn't see it. Um, and it wasn't until I was walking back that I saw it. And they were like, oh, yeah, it's been there the whole time. <laughs> I was like, oh, shoot. Oh, yeah. You didn't see him? <laughs> So the brown um, does them well, you know, everything on them is, is so thoughtfully adapted, you know, there really are just an incredible species. And even though they are, um, you know, not, not super great to look at, they're not that flashy or exciting, like other mammals. Um, They are very cute. They do have a nice smile. Yeah, they have a great smile, very cute little eyes. Um, and you know, the babies are just adorable. That's basically any baby animal is cute, but tortoises, especially. What is the safest way if you need to, for whatever reason, what is the safest way to hold a tortoise? Cause I've seen them held like burgers and I'm not sure if that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. Um, cause they do a behavior called raking where they rake both of their front legs and their back legs against the side of their shell. And um, for the most part, gopher tortoises don't have like really sharp nails, but when they push with their little legs, they're surprisingly strong. And if you're not ready for it and they hiss at the same time, you could potentially like drop that tortoise because you got startled and it like swept your fingers, you know, especially maybe if it was a child holding it like that, the leg sweeping across your fingertips might hurt you. Um, so I say um, if you have to pick it up, hold it by the back, you want to grab under the shell um, kind of holding it like by the rim towards like the front of the leg openings, if that makes sense. So you hold it like not around the whole tortoise where your thumb is on the carapace and your fingers are on the plastron. It's kind of like both of your fingers are on the carapace part of it. If that makes sense. Um, so you hold it by the leg openings in the back and just very quickly walk it across the road. Or if you're not comfortable picking up the tortoise because you not experienced with reptiles or animals like that, don't want to get pee or pooped on or hissed at, any one of those reasons, just use your foot and scooch him across. Their plaster on that belly shell is extremely tough. A little like 10-yard scoot on asphalt isn't going to do anything crazy. All right. All right. I was thinking about that because I was thinking, I was thinking about like how I would describe the visuals of a gopher tortoise. And I think they look like a dinosaur hamburger. Like if yeah. you just like made a hamburger out of a little dinosaur, because they do have that, like they're, you know, they're scaly, but they're also, they have that wrinkly sort of appearance to them yeah. that makes them look just like wise and ancient. <laughs> precious and all-knowing <laughs> i know like i feel like every single tortoise looks like it's 300 years old but like <laughs> how old are they normally <laughs> <laughs> they don't um actually live that long compared to other tortoise species they max out at about 80 years most of them you know pass away around like 50 50 to 60 that's still pretty good like that's a good chunk of time <laughs> Yeah, pretty close to a human lifespan. Any type of animal that's in the human range, you know, this is definitely um, a wise, very um, well-traveled individual by the time it's an adult. And also another good reason not to get one of these as a pet. Yeah, that's <laughs> something um, to think about because, um, you know, sulcata tortoises, which are like the third largest tortoise species out there, something like that. 
Um, they're really popular in the pet trade and they live to be over a hundred years old and get up to like 500 pounds. So anybody thinking about getting a turtle and a tortoise, I definitely urge you folks to do your research first. Look up how big they're going to get um, and how long they live because you have to feed them for their entire lifespan, right? Ideally. So um, with the tortoise, it's about you know $10 a week um, in food times 50 years with some species. So keep in mind um, that there's going to be a lot of cost involved with any pet really, but especially reptiles because you have to go to a special veterinarian that will most likely be more expensive. <laughs> It's like when people get a parrot and it's like you have to have a plan for like the parrot's going to be in your estate. Like you got to you have to already assume that and have a plan in place for when that pet drastically outlives you. Yeah, for sure. Having a plan, definitely key. Well, I think that's everything that we had to go over for the gopher tortoise. I wanted to kind of wrap up by giving you an opportunity to talk about just like what kind of stuff you're involved in now, like what kind of work you're working on, what kind of projects you're involved with, anything that you just kind of want people to know about. Sure, sure. Well, I don't have too much going on right now. They're not really opening (laughs) a lot of volunteering and internships right now. So I don't have a a tremendous amount going on, but I still am a member of the Orient Society that is dedicated to indigo snake conservation. And um, that indigo snake is more of like an umbrella species, saving like those pinewood flats and all the animals that share the habitat with the indigo snake. So very proud to be a member of that organization. I'd love to work there one day. I also volunteer at the Ashton Biological Preserve and Research Lab, which is in Archer, Florida. And there I volunteer with by doing husbandry with their critically endangered radiated tortoises. He also, um, it's a preserve where He'll also raise the gopher tortoise hatchlings and release them once they get a couple months old. And I work with habitat restoration there too, just trying to make that area less fragmented and kind of clean up all of the junk that was left behind by other people. So we like rip out old fences and tear down old sheds and things like that, just trying to make it more natural as possible and kind of erase the footprint that the people before left on that property. So I I absolutely love working there. Um, the site manager is um, one of my good friends, and he is so passionate about helping gopher tortoise populations in Florida. He actively <laughs> is in legal battles with the state and the county trying to protect land and um, kind of regulate how many gopher tortoises that they're allowed to entomb each year due to our of our development. Because um, Florida, we are very much on the rise with all of our tourism and our projects and parks and human development that's going on there. So there does need to be some ecological balance to that because if we keep losing our habitats, we're going to see a lot of economic impacts, not only like think about with the ocean, with our fishing and tourism, when we have those algal blooms, when we have red tide, the impact that it has there when we have hurricanes, tropical storms, and forest fires as well, we need that environment to have us heal and kind of weather those different types of stochastic events. So it's very important work. I'm so glad he's out there championing for gopher tortoises and trying to keep Florida wild and healthy and full of nature like how we like it. So I volunteer at Ashton Biological Preserve. I'm also a member of the League of Environmental Educators in Florida. 
I was signed up to go to their conference this year. Unfortunately, it was canceled. Pretty sure they're going to do a virtual one, though, that I'm pretty excited. I hope I can attend that. Uh, so that's really all I have got going on. I was just promoted to lead animal keeper over at Orlando Science Center. Yay! So that was pretty exciting. So I'm pretty much just kind of focused on work and um, trying to make the Science Center as safe as possible for our guests to visit and keep up those exceptional, very high standards of animal care and welfare. That's, that's keeping me pretty busy lately. <laughs> oh, I would imagine. Oh, that's so much. I'm so, but I'm so thankful for you for doing all that stuff. That's so much good work that, you know, we, we have so much to be proud of in our Florida landscape. It, it's one of those things that just gets me really hyped up and glad to live here. <laughs> it's like the diversity of all the different types of landscapes we have and the different wildlife that we have that's like native to here. It's one of those things that just gets me like, I love it here because of all of the awesome nature that we have. Um, so I'm, I'm thankful to you for, for doing all that work to support keeping it that way. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. Thank you very much. Of course. And thank you for coming on and talking to us today. It's been a privilege and an honor. Such a pleasure to be on the show. I will take any excuse, any opportunity to rave about gopher tortoises. So thank you for indulging me. Thank you for coming by and spending this time with us, Tori. We'll talk to y'all later. Alrighty. Have a great rest of the night. Bye-bye. You too. Bye.